Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Phil Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. At the end of the day, for me, church is about transforming lives. That, that's why I do. That's why I put my family on the front line. I was finishing up some studies to do welfare and get into... Uh, I'd been in, working in a boy's home for a number of years. I'd been a psychiatric nurse. That was fun at the age of 17. And um, I still remember that cup of tea I had poured over my head by that old lady. <laughs> that was a wake-up call. This is a great job. This could be interesting. And, uh, and then, of course, I ended up working in the boys' jail at Mount Penang for six years, and that was another great job where God taught me lots of good things about human nature and, and how to apply the principles of God to give young offenders dignity. And if I was to give them dignity, they would get with the program and, and they would you know, do what they were supposed to do. And it was a fun job and it was a great job. And I learned a bunch about that in terms of that, you know, with God's principles, we can do life, real life, and do these jobs that God's called us to do. And so then, of course, I was in some more major studies to go into the welfare area, into docks and stuff like that. And uh, God called us in uh, mid-95 uh, and uh, through the Rodney Howard Brown uh, conference down at uh, C3 uh, Oxford Falls in the big warehouse, God called, sovereignly called Julie and Phil to start the church. And uh, it was far from my mind, let me tell you. And uh, But God gave us revelation. And, and God says in his word, through revelation, he will build his church. And one of the revelations I had in mid-90s was of the anointing. The anointing upon a life, upon the church. But the anointing upon a person to get God's work done. And so I basically went from Clark Kent to thinking I was Superman for Jesus. Basically, that's what happened. Amen? And because I, I had this revelation about the anointing. Thank you, Rodney, for that. But then I had another revelation of my eyes being open to the fact of church, what church could do beyond uh, what I had been doing through nursing through youth working, and even through the welfare system that I was trying to vie for, then I realized, my God, the church is the answer. The church is the answer to transform lives. And I, and I really, what I did, I weighed this up for a matter of time, because I knew the cost, I knew the cost was great, and I loved my kids, absolutely loved my kids, almost worshipped them, and I had to, in the end of the day, concede that God was asking Phil and Julie and the Oldfield family to go into ministry. And that was really tough on me. And listen up, fathers. I know what it means to be protective and want to provide for your family. But then I know what it means to have a sovereign call on your life and to answer that for the big picture, for the plight of humanity, to see you know, people blessed and saved. And it does take you out of your comfort zone. And it does take you out into a whole sphere of reality, of realizing, oh my God, 
You know, I would have loved the picket fence. I would have loved the little house. I would have loved the little family. I would have loved the little life. That's one of the, I'll tell you something. One of the wonderful reasons I love going caravanning is that because in the caravan, your life is reduced into this little caravan or a tent. Who likes tenting? Who likes camping or caravan? Some people go, no. Well, I actually like it because it reduces your life, your big life. My life is across the nations, Africa, wherever, everywhere, in the schools. That's called ministry. But when I have a break, as we did last week, it was so good to be able to kick back down there at that beautiful little campsite there on the beach and reduce our life down into this little caravan and, and almost go, oh, this seems so wonderful, this little life, this little version of my life at the moment. But our life is much bigger. It's much bigger. And it's connected with all this drama throughout the earth. And that's what we stand I guess, uh, in judgment of at the end of the day. Um, vision Builders, 2012. Okay, can I give you some scripture? Is that cool? Okay. When I thought about Vision Builders, and when I thought about how this church got here, and just to say this, that our first house, um, Julie drew that on a piece of paper. And she actually, anyway, the story, yeah, yeah, so Yongi Cho, okay. You saw Yongi Cho. Did we see him live? Yeah. We did. Yeah. And he was talking about the fourth dimension and, and stuff like this. Imagination. Jesse was asking me, have you got the fourth? It's one of the only books I don't have in my books of thousands. But Yongi Cho caused an immense stir in the 80s, even in the 70s, about what you imagine what you envision, you can bring to pass. You can pull it out of the fourth dimension, so to speak. Julie, um, okay, let me get a handle of this. This wasn't a house in Sydney, it was a house on the coast. It wasn't a house I'd ever seen you, ha- you hadn't seen this house, but you drew it, and one day I got lost going to work, and, um, and there was the house, and um, willow tree out the front, run down, needed the paint in, in this prestigious uh, re- uh, residential area but this one old rundown the original farmhouse was there and uh, long grass big sign out the front for sale i went if i could ever afford a house it have to be only that one and so when we looked later when we after we got it we realized it was the house that julie drew okay phil pringle when he came to sydney in the early 80s he actually in the desire of his heart, was having a coffee with Chris Pringle and he drew on a napkin and he drew the church that is now Oxford Falls, C3. He actually, the diagram of it is the roof and all the little stick people around it, but it's uncanny and amazing how the, the diagram of it is very much like what is down there now. So Yongi Cho stirred off this fact Stirred up this fact in these three ways. Can I explain that to you, what a transformed life is and why we're desperately trying to get people into church, why we're desperately trying to get people to Jesus, why we're desperately trying to reach out to people to see them commit to, the, to, to Jesus for this reason. Here it is. Can I just quote this scripture? 3 John one twelve. Okay, we need to speed it up a little bit now. 
3 John 1, uh, 2. Do you like my glasses? <laughs> Praise God. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. That's in the NIV. The King James Version says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, when I had a look at this, and I look back on Yongi Cho's life, and he talked about some of these things that I believe went through the life of the church, including Phil Pringle, the C3 movement, Hillsong, all those great churches and movements that believe in life, is much bigger, it's more colourful, it's more lively, it's, it's, it's really about prospering in your soul, your conscience being wake, woken up exactly, you being able to see spiritually, you being able to be hungry for the word, hungry for these spiritual things, your soul prospering, but it is about your spirit being alive to God, of course it is, but your spirit ruling the roost, your spirit taking control of your body, of your soul, making good decisions for God, living out a, living out a life that is prospering in health, meaning that when you get saved, and this is desperately what we're trying to get people to do, to give their life to Jesus so that their sin of the curses of the land, but the curses of their generations and sin and sickness can be cancelled off their life, that their body can be prospering, amen? But the third one is, that caused a bit of contention, was that that we should be prospering, that this poverty mindset that a lot of us do have, even from our generations, and I certainly had to fight with it, from my generations, because my folks went through the war, and you know, it was close the door, turn off the light, close the fridge, close the fridge, turn off the door, close the light. You know, and you couldn't use any hot water because hot water was like gold. And you couldn't use electricity because, you know, it was all like... Who grew up in those days? And so that poverty mindset is engendered into you. And I wore, grew up just wearing second-hand clothes all the time. Not like you, these grandkids of mine walking around with trendy clothes. And so then, then you come into the life of God, you give your life to Jesus... And then you realize, oh my God, it's not about just getting, getting, getting. It's about a reciprocal action of being blessed with life, with the resources that we have, and then giving, and then blessing, and then giving, and then blessing. You know what I'm saying? And so this is a huge wake-up call. Uh, I think Billy Graham says there's three conversions. There's one conversion of the soul, and there's another conversion of the mind, there's another conversion of the wallet. You know what I'm saying? So it's a little bit about like that. All right. But Yongi Cho, he quoted this and he said in his fourth dimension book, Then God spoke to my heart, son, as the second dimension includes and controls the first, first dimension. And the third dimension includes and controls the second dimension. So the fourth dimension includes and controls the third dimension. Producing a creation of order and beauty. The spirit is the fourth dimension. Every human being is a spiritual being as well as a physical being. They have the fourth dimension as well as the third dimension in their hearts. So men, by exploring their spiritual sphere, 
of the fourth dimension through the development of concentrated visions and dreams. I said concentrated visions and dreams in their imaginations can brood over and incubate the third dimension, influencing and changing it. This is what the Holy Spirit taught me. So Julie and I started to imagine, we started to dream, but we saw with vision, with eyes that were open to the fact that the church was God's final answer. And I believe this does happen. So, okay, when people get saved, Acts 26, 18, the whole deal about the gospel and about the word of God, but about Jesus is about this in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Is that right? That's basically the gospel. That's basically what salvation is. But there's more. And this is what happened to me and Julie in the mid-90s. We were living a good life. We were coming to church every Sunday, giving our tithe every Sunday, loving God 24-7. But something dramatic happened to Julie and Phil that opened our eyes to the fact of what God was doing on the planet And what God was trying to do through the life of the church. This is what happened. Here's the scripture. These are pertinent, important scriptures to our ministry, by the way. Ephesians 1.17 I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that you may know him better. Hmm. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Is this hope, this eternal life that we talk about? Is it hope? It is. In which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And Ephesians 1.19. And his incomparable great power of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength honestly believe this stuff, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, say church, which is his body, say body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The point is, when God opens your eyes, he opens your eyes to Jesus. Is that right? He opens your eyes to the kingdom. Is that right? He opens your eyes to the church. He opens your eyes to the third world, you know, injustice. He opens your eyes. Isn't that right, Luke? He opens your eyes to the the calamity of starving poor people. This is one of the things that people need to... Understand that your eyes have been opened to God, to Jesus, to the church, to other people. You can't walk by other people now without realizing, oh, what's happening in that life? What's wrong with them, I wonder? Are you like that? Sometimes I I can't go to shopping centers and I'm just so... I I just can't deal with the, the humanity walking by me. I cannot walk through a shopping center with people walking by me without being grieved and like almost 
just getting in a session, in, in a, you know, in a session or something. It, 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 it's, a, it's a bit of a problem, really, because she, I know a lot of people use Westfields and shopping as a place just to relax and shop. And, and I've had very few moments like that when I can go down. I actually had one last week when I went down there. We bought some shoes for Julie, and I thought, just had real grace to do that. But mostly times, when I'm with people, I'm feeling their heart, seeing their lives. Do you know what I'm saying? You're a bit like that. So our eyes have been opened. The key is this. The key is this. When Matthew sixteen fifteen, when it says this, about, and this is about Peter, and Jesus says, who do you say I am? 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven revelation we're talking about 1618 and i tell you that you are peter on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it and i will give you the keys of the kingdom the keys of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven so there's authority there there's revelation jesus says um, to peter he says on that revelation that i am the christ the messiah we're going to build the church. Now, the Catholics believe the church was to be built on a man, the Pope, first one Peter, and the lineage. No, it's, it's about the revelation that Christ is. Do people understand that? So our life is built through revelation. Is that what they're teaching at Bible College, Jesse? That actually, when you get saved, it is because you were asking me some of that stuff the other day. When you get saved, you come out into, with your eyes open, into the revelation that you're born for destiny. You're born for a purpose. You're born for such a time as this. But it's a life of revelation. It's about your eyes opening to God's will, to God's church, to God's kingdom, to God's work on the planet. It's about your eyes open to that and engaging that. And that's what we call a purpose-driven life. I'm driven by a purpose for which I'm born for, to live for Christ, but to do his bidding in the days in which I live. Is this making sense to me? That's why we talk about purpose as a Christian. Purpose. Some people have no... Because they're living carnally. They're living by their five senses. But the Bible says we've got to live by faith, not by just our five senses. We live by faith, which is our sixth sense. We just go, I don't know what it is. The wind's blowing that way and circumstances are this way and, 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 and money says that way and, and whatever and my friends say this way. And But you know what? By faith, I'm going this way. Whereas the world says, oh, uh, Lady Gaga, she says that. The economy says that. Uh, the Prime Minister said that. This, and we go this way. Now we live by revelation. And Jesus said, I will build my church on people that have a revelation of me, his kingdom, his church, and his vision for the plight of the world. Can, I, can we hear anything out of that? Amen? So it's about revelation. This is what the whole deal is about vision builders. The great commandment and the great commission. Of course, you know those. I hope you do is the mandate to build the church. The impossible, ta- impossible task of building and being God's church could be done in trusting and relying on Him, abiding in Him. John fifteen seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given. That's the story of C3 Church. We've just asked, Lord, we want to build you a church. 
We want to sustain it, Lord. Financially, we want to sustain it. Spiritually, we want to sustain it with, with life in our youth group, in our young adults, in our church, in our, and how many people did we have at the junior high? 17 on Friday? Come on! Lord, we're speaking that into existence by prophesying it actually. Calling those things in Romans 4.17. Calling those things which are not as though they were. This is something that we did radically in the life of this church when we first started it. We used to speak with a positive mindset and from the word of God, we used to speak into this church the life and health and love of God into this house. We actually prophesied it, like Yongi Cho was saying. Imagining for a good day, imagining for a thriving, healthy church, imagining for a prospering church, and imagining that one day we would have our own land and our own building, and we literally prophesied this place into existence by praying up on that Chapman Hill lookout for seven years. Every morning, rain, hail, or shine, we would go up there and prophesy down through the bushes, through the trees, ask Frank, to the point where, over the years, the church land, because we could see the church land from the top of Chapman Hill when we first started, clearly we could see the land. That One day we could see it. My God, do you realize, is that, it is, that's the land. And for a few years we could see it clearly, and we used to prophesy and point to it as we were up there. Then slowly the trees grew bigger and the foliage got bigger and then the, the, the land started to disappear. But we still used to prophesy to that land, you know. It was amazing. That's how long we, we prayed up there. And Ty was one of those guys. Let's give it up for Ty and Frank. Speaking the positive, believing in what we speak, trusting in God. The Bible says in 18.21, Proverbs 18.21, remember that the Bible says, there is death and life in the power of the tongue. And of course, the statement I want to uh, declare, the Bible clearly teaches that God has given us a critical role to play and accomplish His will on earth, meaning strategic partnership with God and His people to accomplish His purpose on earth. One of the great um, revelations we brought to bear into the life of our church a couple of years ago was that, yes, we're saved, and that does call for faithfulness, but it does call for fruitfulness. And we brought out a lot of this, um, I, I, I guess, strong, strong um, points that, yes, we're called to be faithful, and some people come to church and they're just faithful in doing that, but actually, that's not the end of the matter. Actually, we're called to be fruitful with what God has given us. And can I just give you a few scriptures on that? And uh, just before I do, I want to quote Luke 19, verse 13. And I love this scripture. It's another important scripture, and it does talk about our life on planet Earth and what we're called to do while we're here. And I love this, and it says, and I'll give it to you in a couple of different versions, and he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten miners and said to them, do business with this until I come back. And again, in King James Version, and he called his ten servants and believed and del- delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. I love that. Occupy till I come. And I'm not sure what version this was in, but he called ten of his servants and gave them ten coins. And he said to them, invest this money until I come back. And this leads me to the point 
of faithfulness of what God has asked us to do with our money, with our time, with our talent. We are called by Christ to bear fruit. John fifteen sixteen says, you do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Is that right? Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Another great uh, scripture. Being fruitful is the way to glorify God. John 15 verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. I'm praying that we are giving glory to God through being C3 Church Tigra and individually as people here. I'm praying that we would all give glory to God. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Being fruitful pleases God, we said. Colossians 1.10, and we pray this in order that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Bearing fruit, say bearing fruit. In every good work, say good work. By the way, we're giving out 10,000 leaflets for big noise. 10,000, pray for that. Are they, have they been, are they, they're going out this weekend, next week? Pray for that. 10,000 leaflets. Uh, heralding the fact that we're putting on this massive 11 acres of fun program. Uh, come down if you dare uh, and, and watch what happens because it's awesome. It's fantastic. I've seen this many years in action. It's awesome. So then considering the great commission that Jesus gave to the church, we must believe that the definition of fruitfulness for a local church must include growth by transformation of unbelievers. Bible clearly identifies numerical growth of the church as fruit. Yes, it does. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is accomplishing as much as possible with the resources and talents God has given to you. Matthew 25, uh, 14 to 30. Uh, I can't go there. It's a parable of the talents. I've run out of time. But Rick Warren says, and this is the five circles of commitment. I wonder if we can get this up. This is a bit of a wake-up call, and this is actually what we're trying to do with people to help God do his vision, his mission. And it's trying to get them into the life of the church to be committed. And probably people start off at the basic level, community. They start off, they're unchurched, they're visitors. We call these people just the community. Then the crowd, people that just turn up for Sunday services, even regular attendees. They are believers and unbelievers. It's not real commitment. We can't build on that. We can't, we can't budget the church through it. We, we just can't build on it. They don't probably give or serve. They just, they just come and we love them dearly. The congregational though is the official members of your church. They are baptized, have a commitment to be part of our church family. Praise God. Purposeful in fellowship. They belong to connect groups. It's a real commitment. You can build on it. The Christian life is not just a matter of believing. It includes belonging to the body of Christ. You were created for a specific role. It says in Romans 12, 4, 5, and I've used this version. I love it. In Romans 12, 4 to 5, in this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? Just want to say, we need the parts of the body. You are a valuable part of the body of Christ. You might think, I'm just a little toe, you know, what are they going to use me for? How can I be of any good? You'd be very much surprised. 
Everyone is important. You are a part of the body. That's the fact of the matter. And you, you should not feel isolated. You should not feel cut off. You should not feel orphaned. You should not feel like, oh, look, you're doing great stuff. Go for it. I don't know. No, we need you. You are part of the body. I'm thanking God that all my body came to church this morning. I'm thanking God that, you know, my knee didn't say, well, I'm not going to church. You know, what's the good of me, man? And I'm going, hey, church, you know, God's blessed me, prospered me. Just, just got to get my knee with the program. Those people sharing the mission in the world, when Jesus walked the earth, God walked through the physical body of Christ. We know that. Today, he uses his spiritual body, the church, as God's instrument of transformation. It's an amazing privilege to be his hands, feet, and eyes, and ears. Yes, it is. He works through us in the world. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. Once they make a commitment to Christ, they need to be encouraged. We know that. Commit to the body, the church, through connect group, fellowship, the vision, ultimately, and the mission. Those people usually do give their tithe. They are committed to the welfare of the church. They pray for the church. They speak well of the church. They love the church. It's the bride of Christ. They're godly. They're committed. They are, they are people who are godly, growing, serious about their faith, serving God through ministry and church. They are the committed. They pray, give, and are dedicated to growing in discipleship. They are mature disciples who have daily uh, quiet time and prayer. They believe in tithing and giving, active in connect groups, essential for spiritual growth. And then there's this radical group called the core group, which we've always had in the life of C3 Church is the smallest group of the church because it represents the deepest level of commitment. They are dedicated minority of workers and leaders. Those who are committed to ministering to others. They are the sheepdogs rounding up the straying sheep to the shepherd in the word and the deed and attitude. And in prayer and leadership, they stand and defend and build the church. They're the five dimensions of the church. I love what uh, Rick, help me, Rick um, Warren says. Church grows warmer through fellowship. Church grows deeper through discipleship. Church grows stronger through worship. Church grows broader through ministry. Church grows larger through evangelism. And uh, and I love that. Have I got time to put up the Nehemiah teaching? Have I got time to do that? Three minutes? This is this is this is this is powerful, man. And then I'm going to take up the offering. We're done. We're done. I'm just going to go through it really, really quick. This is something you could really expand on, but I need to. This is what happens when you go to build a church or do anything significant for God. It's a bit like Nehemiah, who was a governor. He was sent to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And, um, and of course... When he began, he got this heart, the Bible says he wept, wept, he cried. The, the temple was already built, Jerusalem, the temple was already built. The, this governor, Nehemiah, he turned up and he just wept about the walls. Julie and I wept about the church in Wyong. We couldn't really see a strong, thriving, energetic, lively church, although there was good church in Wyong. But we really believe that there was, there, there could be and there, there needed to be a spirit-filled church and so basically julie and myself wept and cried like nehemiah and said man 
So we went back to our pastor, Kevin Brett, and uh, we said to him, we really believe there needs to be a church in Wild. And, uh, and he said, well, if that's the case, you know, let's take it to the Lord. And of course, um, the rest is history. But a lot of stuff broke out in this determination to build the church. Do you want to hear what happened? Do you want to hear what happened? Which was typified very muchly through the, the book of Nehemiah. So let's just check this out. It's called the principles of rebuilding the wall from the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 1, you can see the problem. The problem was in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, I wept, prayed and repented. Chapter 2, count the cost, survey the land, start rebuilding. Immediately, chapter 2 says, and it talks about immediately mocking and ridicule. I can't believe to tell you the stuff that came against us in building God's church. And exactly what happened in the book of Nehemiah happened to us. And then you get into chapter 220. Uh, the God of heaven will give us success. He just gets his download. Like we used to get the download in our prayer up on Chapman Hill. And when we had special time with the Lord. He's saying, I don't care what the enemy's saying. I don't care what people are saying, Phil and Julie. You're going to have success. Chapter 3, teamwork, teamwork. They get this revelation. It's teamwork that counts. Revelations chapter 4, 2 to 4. They begin to doubt on their ability and discouragement sets in. We saw that through the life of our church. Verse 4, 9. They prayed to God, posted a guard day and night and praised God for the people that have been praying for C3 Tugger all these days. 1 Peter verse 5, 8 is a revelation. Be alert. The enemy roams around. He's waiting to take out God's good work. He's waiting to take out your calling, take out all the good stuff that you're trying to do for God. He's roaming around. He's just wanting so much to shut you down and even hurt you. Isaiah 62 verse 6 says, Posted watchmen on your walls. Never be silent day or night. Chapter 4.10 says, Weariness began to set in. Verse 4.1, Fear even. And Nehemiah stands up again as the great leader and begins to encourage them and says, Do not be afraid. And he says things like this, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons and daughters and wives. Let's fight for those ones not in yet church. Let's fight for that, our, our sons and daughters. Let's fight, you young people, for your sons and daughters, your children that are not here yet. Let's fight for our grandchildren. Let's fight for the generations that are not here yet. Let's fight. Some people haven't fought and are still in rented buildings. C3 Tugra says... We're going to have success. We believe we're going to be the head. We're going to build the church. And we're going to take this land. And we're going to put God's family in its own building. And we're going to do it. It's going to cost us everything. But we're going to do it. That's what we've done. You have to understand some of this stuff. The work is extensive. Chapter 4, verse 15 and to 19. It talks about the enemy being frustrated. The people worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Who's been through times like that through our church? Building and through C3, uh, Oxford Falls. I know you've been through times like that. I was with your, uh, with our boss on Friday night and uh, I just take my hat off to him what they've done down there. It's awesome. And also I was going through the big white book of the history and I saw your picture there, uh, Tim. I pointed you out to my door and I said, Who's that guy there? When Phil was actually standing on the podium. Do you remember that photo? He's actually standing and Tim, 
Tim McGrath is in our house now after serving 20 years down at Oxford Ford. He's holding the podium while Pastor Phil is doing some illustrative, dramatic illustration uh, of, uh, you know, and, and, and Tim is holding one side and someone's holding the other. They go, Phil, would you get down from there? <laughs> I can see Tim's, I can see Tim's, would, would you get this guy down from here? He's, <laughs> the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other and along the wall it does get, does get a bit lonely and it does get a bit disheartening sometimes when you can't feel the love around you, can't feel the teamwork. Verse 20, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, got to hear the prophetic, got to hear your leaders when they speak. You've got to hear God. Join us there. Our God will fight for us. Praise God for the prophetic in this church. Praise God for that trumpet blast at times. Even when Julie got up here this morning and declared that trumpet blast and said, Church, this is it. Vision builders, join with us. Chapter 6, don't be sidetracked. 6 verse 5, accusations, fear and intimidation. Don't listen, your parents, whatever, your people are going to, friends are going to say, what, you go to church, you give your money to church, you support the work of God, there's no, there's nothing in that, man. Come on out with us, party with us, do life with us. It's easy this way. You've got to say one day, friend, I love you and I love to party. But I've got to party for Jesus. I've got to work for Jesus. I've got to part, partner with Him. Because I stand before Him at the end of the day and give an account for my life and my family's life. And as for me and my family, the Bible says in Joshua, we will serve the Lord. You've got to say that one day. Come on, guys. There's a lot of voices out there. 6 9, but Nehemiah prayed, now strengthen my hands. 6 15, the walls completed. But I love this in chapter 7, verse 3. The residents called to be guards and watchmen. Even after they completed the war, they had to continue to pray. And I thank the prayer people of the church, Jenny Gale and you other guys, and Fleur, who are really our major prayer people, and Pauline and others. Forgive me if I've missed you out, but that's basically... We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3tugra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. There is no greater love than that of yours. We want the world to know, so we'll rise in selfless faith to live like Christ for all our days.